So, hi, Mark. Uh, sails or sailies? Sails. Sails. Just like the boat. Yeah, just like the boat. Okay. What was your first computer? My first computer, um, I guess it was a family computer. So I had an, I had an older brother who was, uh, or who is seven years older than me. And we had a, a BBC Micro or BBC B. I don't know if, if they were really computers in, in the rest of Europe, but they were, they were sold in the UK. And I'm 38. So, you know, a computer for me back then, I had to put in a, a cassette into load load games and i remember getting magazines with you know uh print 10 and uh typing those into my computer and, and <laughs> watching <laughs> very very basic um uh, programming language execute but yeah that wasn't really something that uh, captivated me i think it was really when i was in high school and uh my family got the first internet connection and we had our, you know, uh, 386s and 486s and um, Pentiums that uh, when I was on the internet, um, I started looking at web pages and, you know, wanting to build my own web page. And I said to my dad, oh, how do I build a web page, dad? And obviously he had, he had no idea because this was the dawn of the internet and he was an accountant. Mm -hmm. So I remember, <laughs> I remember learning a lot about computers and about the internet and networking and and you know IP uh, just by creating my first uh, first web page and uh, you know working out what Apache was and Apache HTTP server. So yeah, my first computer was was really just watching my brother kind of play games and okay. you know type things in verbosely. But I think it was really when you know I was at high school that I really kind of learned a passion for computers, hardware, and by programming. Okay. So um, on the BBC, so you didn't even try, you know, to load basic or? Uh, I think I was too young. Okay. I was too young to really kind of understand what was happening. Mm -hmm. uh, but I can still remember, like, trying to find out where, <laughs> where, where I typed something in wrong, uh, why, <laughs> why it wasn't working. But, um, yeah, a bit, bit too young to really kind of dabble much further. Same here. So uh, you mentioned Apache, so I assume you used the Linux back then, right? Uh, well, I did, but this was a long, long time ago. Um, but I think Apache was also available for for Windows back then. Oh, really? So I think. Okay. I think I remember. I remember using Linux um, before I went to university. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I used Mandrake Linux. Mm -hmm. I think this was. This was the first one that I was exposed to, but for me it was part of you know a university course, so it wasn't really as a like an everyday desktop. I was still very much a Windows user, mm -hmm. but when I did uh, programming and did my coursework, that was all on Linux. So very much a console-based experience. But okay, so uh, back to to your first website. So you you really enjoyed that, or was it your you know initial? It sparked in, uh, your interest uh, towards programming, or what? What was the? Oh issue? yeah, that that was really a huge experience for me. Being able to, um, you know, run a run a server on my machine, and this was just on my on my local machine on my on my family computer, and then you know go go to my friend down the road and you know give him an IP address and. You know, he could see my web page. That that blew my brains. Uh, okay. That that was amazing, and that really, you know, there's quite a lot to learn there. You know, there's a lot to learn about. You know, running 
running a, a server, understanding the networking, you know, HTML, um, you know, and that was probably, I don't know, 14, 15, 16. Um, so yeah, that really interested me. And then I, I started learning about PHP and uh, MySQL, mm-hmm. um, which was, you know, served me very well. Um, when I went to university, I had had a, a good understanding of, of databases and, well, not a good understanding, a basic understanding <laughs> of databases uh, and a bit of understanding about PHP and loops and, and, you know, if statements and things like that, just enough to kind of write a very basic uh, website. What I remember at that time, PHP and uh, and and MySQL, the combo, all, you know, the developers back then, I think it was like, 2006 or earlier, I think before Rails came out, they try always convince me that we don't need transactions. You know why? <laughs> why you need transactions? It's just no one needs that. You know this was all. I, like, I, I cannot understand it because I was in complete different projects. Right, the mm-hmm. PHP and MySQL project spend their time, you know, building. Uh, I don't know, a shop uh, internet with, you know, shopping cart and I spent time in insurances or whatever. So for me, it was impossible to do something, you know, without or yeah. inconvenient to do something uh, without transactions. And this was a, I just watched, you know, the entire community. I couldn't understand why they don't need transactions. So this is uh, what, <laughs> what do I remember with uh, MySQL and, and PHP back then? Yeah, I remember a fantastic open source project called PHP My Admin. Yeah, of course. Which was <laughs> just an absolute uh, workhorse. I, you know, the first thing I ever did was, uh, you know, if I had a, a server, was was install PHP, mm-hmm. MySQL, and PHP my admin, and you know, I was still very much learning how to do sort of management tasks and learning about queries and joins and stuff. So that was <laughs> that was a, a real help for me. It's also a highly secure happened. solution, right? Yeah, <laughs> 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 yeah. You wouldn't dream of uh, of installing that. Um, I'm publicly facing anymore. Yeah, yeah. sure. That's how it was mm-hmm. for me, anyway. Back, back when I was young. It's a uh, crazy because uh, you started with installing Apache and learning HTML at the same time. So I mean, this is way too much. So what I remember is I, I spent you know a few days understanding tables, HTML tables. They were not that easy, you know, uh, because the entire layout back then was table based. And oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and it was very easy to break. So I spent a lot of time, you know, formatting TR, TDs, and stuff like that. And uh, <laughs> yeah. and I started with HTML first, and then I installed the server. Uh, so b- because uh, I used the Netscape, you used Netscape back then, the Netscape Navigator, and I could just open, you know, open the HTML, and I built the website. And then and then uh, I needed Linux in order to run C and C plus plus, and then I got Apache. So this was like you know the Apache was just there, but uh, understanding HTML this was this was the problem. Yeah, I think my websites were probably even more basic. I think I just had text <laughs> to start with, okay. and then uh, but yeah, I, I very much remember uh, laying everything out with uh, with tables. Yeah, then, um, there was a, frames, a frame sets, frame sets, right? Yeah, and there was a Microsoft project. A product called Front Page. Front Page. This was terrible. This that was, was like that was terrible. But yeah. uh, that was a very good way of, of doing layouts, <laughs> which created even more tables behind mm-hmm. the scenes. I think uh, Angular uh, is based on 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 Front Page. You know, this is it. <laughs> 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 so uh, I think we get uh, lots of trouble with this. But um, okay, um, okay, it's interesting. So and then um, and why you started PHP? I mean, 
Yeah, I think it was just the the easiest, the most kind of accessible thing, right? Okay. At that time, um, you know, it was very much that that bundled or bundle of software, which was you know Linux, uh, PHP, mm-hmm. uh, MySQL. Um, it was probably just the most available resource when I was when I was searching on the internet, um, and yeah, I guess it was probably probably lucky as well. It was very easy to get started. You know, it's all. Mm-hmm. There's no compilation. Yeah, sure. But why why you wanted to build something with a database and PHP? Oh, I, I don't know. I, I guess I was just uh, uh, dabbling and, and seeing seeing what other people were building and trying to understand how to make more sophisticated websites. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, just curiosity. I think curiosity is something that um, I've been very lucky to have a lot of throughout my throughout my life and has done me well in my career mm-hmm. um so kind of just seeing what the people are doing okay uh, trying things out okay and um so and the university you just kept doing php i don't believe so right <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> so i don't think we yeah we didn't do it a single any any php at all yeah so we we started on uh c++ actually Oh, uh, C++ and then Java really? and, then nice. mm-hmm. and then Python. Um, and the only language that really ever resonated with, with me and really was anything that I could really understand and, and thrive with was Java. Um, okay. it, the, the, the object orientated, um, style, but also the documentation, you know, I think, I think people uh kind of underestimate how useful um java docs uh, and the java documentation you know that uh, and the and the ides as well uh even uh when i was at university eclipse it was 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 the king uh, and netbeans i really really used to enjoy using netbeans um and it's just such a such a fantastic environment to work in um and I, I could not get my head around uh, C++ uh, uh, and Python. Never really, nearly, never really was an enjoyable experience for me. Um, I don't know. I don't know why that was so, so different. But yeah, Java was always something that I was always wanting to wanting to use in all my coursework. Interesting. So um, yeah, uh, back to JavaDoc. What's uh, what's I'm really impressed with is. If you look at the oldest Java docs, you know how string is com- uh, documented. This is a great documentation from day one. So you, you won't find, you know, uh, another project from that time. So it's so well documented. So kudos to the engineers. I would I would say it's just incredible. So sometimes uh, clients ask me, you know, how they sh- uh, how how they should write Java docs. Like look at the string class in Java, for instance. This is what I would expect, you know. Yeah. So just uh, yeah, um, this is what uh, I'm really surprised that that. I mean, by the quality of of JavaDoc. And, yeah, um, I remember in I can't remember if it was maybe Java one point four mm-hmm. when a lot of the new collections came out and one two you know reading, reading the Josh Blocks uh, you know fantastic mm-hmm. uh, comments for for all of all the collections was fantastic. Okay, uh, so yeah, definitely, I, I have definitely looked back at those when I've tried to write my own documentation. Uh, it's very high standard, <laughs> but you can try. Yeah, but you started with uh, JDK one one then, I think, right? 
because yeah was- so my my first java i remember using vectors and then changing to yeah then was one one java util vector with synchronized and then mm-hmm. yeah so that that was my first experience i remember changing from vectors to the lists and sets yeah. and things like that mm-hmm. um but yeah, my memory is a bit foggy back then. No problem. <laughs> but it was uh, at university or was it later? Yeah, that was at university. Okay. Yeah. And interesting because you had, you know, PHP experience and you still like Java. So this is an unusual path. I have to admit, <laughs> I never ran anything with PHP, I think, so far. I didn't like the syntax. The same is true for Python. I would really like to learn Python now ju- just for fun, but I don't like the syntax. It doesn't look right right for me so if i look at python code you know i i don't know uh i I'm, i know it will change you have to start you know look at the code and then will change but if i look at this you know first okay this 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 doesn't look right um yeah yeah for, for me php was i think it was just the easiest uh thing to see visually yeah. and then you know ever since i've i've never done any <laughs> any front-end uh work since you know i'm very much uh, favoring back-end work mm-hmm. um, and that's that's still what I'm you know most passionate about nowadays uh, and I have great respect for, for front-end programmers I think it's a very difficult uh, area to work in uh, it's so changeable mm-hmm. um, but yeah for me as soon as I got into uh, you know back-end programming and uh, you know working with databases that's that's where I was much more comfortable mm-hmm. um, and enjoyed a lot more yeah, I spend a lot of time with JSPs, which are similar to PHP, but uh, now it's, it's over, I would say. Uh, I spend all my time in the backends because, you know, uh, in the frontends I do just web components in JavaScript, completely different story, but in the backend is uh, just, you know, plain Java. Um, yeah. Okay, so what happened after university? So you started to work uh, as a Java consultant? or? Yeah, so I was, I was pretty lucky that I got a, a job at a fantastic company uh, called William Hill, which is a gambling company in the UK. Mm-hmm. And I was there for a long time. I was there for nine years. Okay. And the the company went through a, you know, a huge amount of change over that time, but I was very lucky to follow a number of different teams uh, through my career. And each one of them had, you know, a fantastic, uh, you know, group of experienced developers that I could learn from. So, you know, I still think back on, on some of the programmers that I learned from uh, and, you know, they, they really taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate to have a really fantastic kind of early junior developer experience. Um, but I maybe stayed there a little bit too long uh, and I was a bit too comfortable. So, uh, you know, after I left uh, that role, um, I joined a, a smaller uh, company where I had a lot more freedom. Uh, and I actually, I think I had three promotions in in two years. So I, you know, I went from a junior to kind of a mid, and then a senior, and then a then a team lead. So that <laughs> that kind of showed me how how much I had learned. And uh, you know, compared to the market, I was actually uh, you know a lot more experienced than um, than I thought I was. Okay. Uh, and that that also did me well. Actually, jumping out of my my comfort zone mm-hmm. and whenever i've done that in my in my career that's always been a positive experience mm-hmm. uh, and maybe maybe that's luck or maybe that's, that's good preparation I'm, I'm not sure but um it's something that i've become aware of mm-hmm. and now i'm getting a bit older and uh trying to you know 
uh, be present of mind and and make sure that you know I am looking at the next thing and uh, and trying to uh, uh, push myself a bit more than maybe I used to. Yeah, which is important, but it's, it's also important to, to be able to you know to ignore things because uh, there are so many you know crazy technologies. Which uh, I'm, I'm I'm spending a lot of time on Java conferences, which I say, okay, this is looks nice, and you know, but uh, who, who cares, right? Oh. <laughs> and you get you know a three percent improvement with you know one hundred percent rewrite, <laughs> and and this for me was just crazy. Um, yeah. Well, you know, this is this is my current experience. So currently, I work for uh, Amazon Web Services, mm-hmm. and I've been there uh, over three years now. Which you know may not seem like a long tenure for for a lot of people, but that that AWS is actually quite a long tenure, and I've probably been there uh, a lot longer than uh, a lot of the, my peers. Okay. And you know, if you think of a company like uh, AWS, if you're not careful, uh, you can easily you know be pulled from one side to the next every single day. Mm-hmm. There is so many different opportunities. To be involved in so many uh, incredible projects, um, but you know, time is finite, uh, and you know, you need to, um, in my experience, uh, have time to dive deep and to understand things well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in the last year, I've really been um, very interested in a book called uh, Essentialism. Okay. Uh, and maybe we can link this yeah, um, in the blog post. Um, and this this was uh, recommended to me by a manager at AWS, mm-hmm. and um, he he saw that I was you know being pulled around on lots of different topics, uh, and I, you know I wasn't having uh, you know maybe the impact that I could have been having as a as a solutions architect, which is the job role that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, yeah, he recommended this and, and, you know, this, this book preaches, you know, understanding, you know, what, what you're trying to achieve and having a, a very single threaded, uh, direction. Mm-hmm. And there might be a number of different areas on that topic that you're, that you're interested in, but, you know, trying not to be, uh, distracted by things like you say that are less meaningful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's really helped me this year and, you know, that maybe is a good segue because, you know, this year I have really been trying to understand uh, the Java developer experience when people are using uh, some of the services uh, at AWS. Mm-hmm. So in particular, AWS Lambda mm-hmm. is one that I'm really interested in. That's that's a service that uh, I specialize in um, and I work with a lot of customers uh, to understand uh, Lambda and to adopt Lambda. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I have a... Uh, a Java background and Java is something that I'm really interested in. That that sort of uh, combination means that I get to speak to some really interesting uh, companies, large and small, about how to adopt and uh, to learn about Lambda. Okay, interesting. So, and uh, before AWS, uh, you spend uh, your time on the backend with Java. So, you, so you build servers. Uh, which yeah. technologies you used? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, you know, my first role at William Hill was uh, what we called a build engineer. I guess nowadays you'd probably call it uh, an ops, an ops engineer. But I was uh, building uh, servers out for different environments, uh, installing and configuring WebLogic. Ah, okay. I don't remember that WebLogic six. Yeah, uh, six to eight. 
So six, seven, eight were great releases. I really enjoyed them. And after that, it was getting got bloated and worse. This was my experience. Yeah. So so configuring those environments and setting those up for for engineers and then taking their code, deploying it to the clusters and making okay. sure that all ran correctly with with all the different various scripts mm -hmm. that we could produce to help them, but also to help them diagnose their own problems because you know they didn't have the sort of local development environment that you know people probably expect to have these days. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, that was very much a uh, a learning experience for me and helping uh, developers understand you know, the mistakes that we're making, mm -hmm. which kind of led me to you know want to do more and more. Uh, programming myself. So I moved into a, a programming role, um, you know, pure, pure uh, backend Java, mm -hmm. uh, learning about uh, Spring, Spring Framework, uh, going to various training sessions. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, the, the general move, I think, which was probably very familiar to a lot of people to, to Tomcat mm -hmm. uh, and then to Jetty. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was probably you know, something that a lot of people did at that sort of time. Um, yeah, and, you know, various different databases, Oracle, mm -hmm. um, Postgres. So you spent um, your time with Spring, Jetty, and Tomcat, basically, right, in the backend? Yeah. 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 Uh, why I'm asking is because uh, recently I delivered a talk, like, uh, EGB developers, now it's time to learn Lambda. <laughs> I, I don't know whether you saw this. And um, I don't know whether you know you know EJBs, actually? You heard about No, it was never really something that, that was... In my professional career now, I, I heard about it, but I think I just missed it. Yeah, um, no problem, uh, because they, 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 they fade away, so they would go get replaced with CDI and other technologies. But the interesting part is that the stateless EGBs are very similar to synchronous Lambda, and the uh, and the asynchronous EGBs is called message-driven beans, are very, very, uh, very similar to the usual Lambda without API gateway. Uh -huh. Uh, and what I did, I just, you know, I picked uh, the old specs from EJBs, but because <laughs> back then there was like a cold start, there was pooling, you know, Java was yeah. so slow back then that uh, this new was too slow. So we had pre-cache or pre-pool EJBs. And uh, so it's very similar to cold start. The concurrency is almost identical. So if you, if you, um, yeah. So, and what I did, uh, there was, uh, the session was scheduled to one hour, but I get more questions. It was one and a half hour. <laughs> and 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 what I did, I just explained now which problem we had in in, in um, with EJBs and now lambdas. And there's only one difference, or, or only one conceptual difference, because lambdas are running uh, in separate containers concurrently, and EJB ran inside the JVM. So the static Java static has different meaning in lambda and EJBs. This is yeah. this is the, the 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 you know the only big difference. And um, and it was quite interesting because uh, um, uh, for me it's not very easy to map my old concepts to lambdas. Like you know, uh, uh, throttling the lambdas for me was okay. Max pool size two in EJBs, so I exactly knew there would be never more like two uh, ongoing transactions, concurrent transactions in lambda. I can do the same. So um, and and this was what I, um, and and everyone's surprised, you know, because I, I joked a little bit, you know, the hot technology like EJBs, you can also learn <laughs> lambdas. But and and um, but uh, it was fun. it was actually funny sessions, and I got lots of questions. And I think after the session, you pinged me on Twitter, and I thought you attended the session, you know, because your 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 tweet was very on t uh, very related to my session, so it was actually funny. And um, 
and you ask about the uh, the Java world in developer experience. So I think uh, the problem with Lambda is uh, it was overhyped in the Java community, and people thought that if you have a monolith, you can split monolith in 200 lambdas and everything is going to be better. If you do this, it is terrible. So um, I was completely against that. I said, okay, forget about this. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. So uh, such a monolith, uh, you could just you know ship on ECS Fargate, for instance. It works just perfectly. And um, But uh, I would say um, with uh, Lambdas and API Gateway, it's a nice transition, I would say, to something more interesting like um, event-driven architectures, right? Uh, where... Lambda just listens to events and does something with it. And now it comes, what I really like is um, you can actually, this is also not well understood, I think, you can ship just plain Java POJOs without any dependency to Amazon APIs. It's just a method. And the only dependency is that, you know, the J JSON structure. And uh, you, you can test it with, you can write unit tests, you can do everything locally. And this is what I try to show a little bit because uh, otherwise I would spend in my project, I'm consultant, you know, all the time try, you know, to 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 revert back uh, uh, things which are suboptimal, I would say. Yeah, the, you know, the, there is so much to say uh, that, you know, if you, if you have an existing uh, child application and, you know, that is not magically going to, uh, you know, be converted into you know a series of lambda functions mm -hmm. um you know that is uh, part of a migration just like anything you know that's yep. part of a modernization journey mm -hmm. and there's there's so many ways that you can go about that so one that i um uh, i think is really good is you know if you have an application that's maybe on ec2 you know behind a load balancer mm -hmm. if you're using uh um application load balancer, the, the AWS service, that can do path-based routing. So if you if you have a REST API that's, that's being served by a Java application, you, you can start taking uh, separate paths uh, and, you know, targeting Lambda functions. So you, you can start, you know, an easy migration. And, you know, the technical part of the migration it is is one part, but it's the it's the cultural and you know learning the technology from from the from the staff on the team and learning how to operate and and release uh, you know the the code. So it's you know not running to start with is a very good approach and actually learning by by walking and jogging, you know and you know finding what works for you and not just following you know what people write on their blog posts. I think is a is a is a good idea. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, API Gateway, another fantastic service, really, really helps you to 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 work on that migration. And in the same way, um, you can take different paths and target different services. So that's another really good way of of bringing in Lambda while you know you've still got a a working application, um, so that you're not introducing you know more risk to the project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. I wanted to mention actually this ALB is nice, but uh, you will need API Gateway anyway um, with the proxy integration, you know, to translate the HTTP events to Lambda events. So I think if you have an EC2 uh, system, you could use API Gateway as a facade to both. And well, you can you can take um, ALB events mm -hmm. in Lambda as well, so you don't necessarily need API Gateway. You can just 
uh, receive uh, the event straight from ALB. Okay. Okay. This is this is uh, interesting then. But in one point of time, if uh, everything is migrated, I will still need. Then I will migrate to API Gateway. It wouldn't make any sense to use ALB for lambdas, right? So you know, some people really like ALB because um, it gives you, um, you know, less functionality than API Gateway. So there is probably a different cost profile. Mm -hmm. But if you're producing a public API, then you probably are going to appreciate the feature set of API Gateway. Yeah. So things like throttling, stages. Um, usage plans, stages. Um, but there are a lot of people who are building you know, microservices um, and use uh, application load balancer just to to uh, load balance uh, you know internal microservices. So that's that's a very common pattern as well. Okay, that's interesting because uh, for me it was all the path you know use API gateway and then um, migrate the traffic to Lambda. And then, you know, you start with proxy integration. And then one of my clients will probably even use um, API keys from uh, API Gateway because they're building uh, commercial software and um, how it's called, uh, IP ranges. You know, with API Gateway, you can say uh, you can only yeah. be called from this uh, from this uh, yeah. IP addresses, which is, and it is very simple to configure, actually. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's called a resource policy, and that yeah. that is a fantastic way of very simply adding, you know, what what we would call like a firewall, um, mm -hmm. uh, firewall rules, uh, and that is still very prevalent in in the security world for for on premises uh, style workloads. So you know, we would like to to move away into you know different security mechanisms, but that is still very common. And yeah, API gateway is uh, a fantastic way of allowing you know specific API ranges into your API. Mm -hmm. And um, as I already mentioned, this API gateway integration is nice for synchronous services where you need something like a REST endpoint. But uh, what is really changes in the cloud is. Um, I would say all the major services are emitting events. So we already mentioned ALB, uh, API Gateway HTTP event, but uh, S3 as well, let's say. S3, Kinesis, SNS, SQS, and so forth. But S3, this is actually the most interesting one because um, what I saw on-premise, there are lots of projects, um, application servers in my world, uh, which are scanning uh, folders and w waiting until file arrives. If the file is there, it is you no know, virus scanned and then just translated to something else. And migration to cloud from there is just you know uploading a file to S3, then waiting for an event to happen, and then you know translating the event. And uh, what changes is um, in Java world on premise. Event-driven architectures. Uh, we, we we are talking about this for I don't know ten years on conferences, but you don't have any events on premise. It doesn't make any sense, you know, to build event-driven architectures without events. So you will force yourself to emit the events and to, in order to to receive them. But in the clouds, you already have the events. So I would say the 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 um, killer use case for Lambda is it just listen to events. And then, uh, then you have one method like a facet in Lambda. So it receives, you know, the event, then translates the event to a business event because you always get JSON. So you translate to a pojob to regular Java object. And from there, it's just, you know, code which we wrote, you know, written uh, in JDK 1.1. So it was like just, just pojobs, no dependency injection, no annotations, just straight code. And this is the, the I would say, cloud native. 
because there were lots of talk about you know cloud native java and and they were uh, and everyone was you know lucky then they started something in their container and i look at that as okay i don't care whether it runs on the cloud or not this is i mean yeah it will run in the cloud but now we are using the cloud right yeah i i think you you make a really good point and the cloud uh, and aws really is you know built as a set of apis mm-hmm. <clears throat> And a set of services, and all of those services emit uh, information. So if you know, if you want to know when a build is finished, you know a build uh, emits an event, so you can listen to when that build is, is finished. You know, if you are using a, an EC2 server, you will get events when the server is uh, started and stopped and paused. You know, you 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 can easily. Uh, and you will fall over yourself, um, you know, with the amount of events that you can possibly consume. Mm-hmm. Um, but but also, I think the other the other really interesting thing about Lambda and event driven architecture is the integrations that we have. So, if you're using something like uh, Kafka mm-hmm. or ActiveMQ mm-hmm. or RabbitMQ or some of the cloud native uh, queues like Kinesis, uh, SQS, and SNS, they all have uh, integrations. Uh, native integrations into Lambda, so you don't need to write any of the polling code. Now, you know, may- maybe that polling code for 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 RabbitMQ or ActiveMQ wasn't particularly uh, difficult, but if you're writing, uh, you know, sophisticated uh, production code for for Kafka and you know holding offsets, you know that that isn't trivial, and for Lambda to to manage that. Uh, for you is actually, I think, a real benefit to a lot of people who are who are building those sorts of systems. So you can you can uh, provision a, a, a Kafka cluster, um, you know, associate that to a Lambda function, and you will just receive uh, events from that from that stream, um, and you don't have to write uh, that that integration code. I think that's a real benefit. It really gets people productivity increases. By the way, uh, the uh, Kafka recently became uh, serverless on AWS, yes. and yes. this is actually great news because uh, for experimentation, I always started you know two small brokers, so you can actually start with two, and this, they are really cheap. But now it's even better serverless, so I can say, okay, I, I need it now for half an hour, you know, implementation, and then can just shut it down. So uh, this is actually great news, and um, yeah, and Kafka or Kinesis, this is uh, the cost profile. So both are interesting. What we are usually doing, or I'm proposing, is using you no know, event bridge as a facade. So very similar to uh, API gateway because then are a little bit more flexible. And uh, event bridge, you know, we have to be careful because uh, we had in Java ESBs. <laughs> this was not a nice experience. So, but uh, event bridge is not is it's just simpler. So you you get the events and you can route the events to whatever source you have so it is uh, it is like more like switch statement in java i would say a flexible one and, and this basically it and we use it actually for you mentioned Ka- kafka another interesting integration we have a kafka on premise and kafka is a persistent so what you can actually do is you can read you know the kafka events on premise and submit them to the cloud and uh, what we could of course do is to synchronize kafka to kafka but who knows whether you know Kafka is the best solution in the cloud. So, but if you use EventBridge, then you have the choice, you know, to use Kinesis, SQS, SNS, or whatever. So you are not. I like Kafka, but why to be depending on Kafka? And um, this works surprisingly well, I have to tell. 
Yeah, absolutely. And Eventbridge has had some incredible releases recently. So, you know, being able to um, uh, store and replay so that you can store the, the, the messages into S3, but, you know, very low cost persistent storage, mm-hmm. and then, you know, replay those messages back. So, you know, I've worked in, you know, CQRS style and event sourcing style applications, you know, that, that gives me some of the, some of the functionality that I really want to and end up building myself if I'm building systems like that. So having that built for me, managed for me, uh, and having APIs to replay messages is, is a fantastic feature. Yeah. This is comparable to GMS persistent queues, actually, what you are talking about. Because uh, what this means is that event, if event bridge receives an event, it will store it immediately in S3 and then try to re-deliver this event, right? From read from S3 and re-deliver it. Uh, so, so typically, it will just it will just send those messages to to um, whichever endpoints are associated. Yeah. But you know, if you have some sort of failure, or if you have a new system that wants to uh, receive old messages, mm-hmm. you can take those old messages and and push them through the system again. Yeah, you're right. So what EventBridge would do, we just send event, there is something for you, and I would just, you know, read it from S3 then. So it's not like, you know, yeah. No, no, it will, it will produce the messages back onto, onto EventBridge. Yeah, but, uh, you know, the payload of the message would be a link to S3, right? An ID of the S3 bucket. No, it would just be, be the same message. that. Ah, um, so it uses S3 transparently then? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So I think you will get an identifier that this has been a, a redrive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but, but you know the message will look the same. It will have the same contents. Uh, uh, that's great, because I think it works the same like like S3 events where you you get the event, but there is you know the link to the actual bucket, so you can receive that. Okay, interesting. Uh, back to Lambda. What's uh, also interesting is how how good actually the cold starts are, or how short. Uh, with Java. So if you have like a Pojo Lambda, so my observation is under uh, a second, actually, they have, if you have no dependencies Lambdas, which is also not uh, widely known, I would say. And um, with the Quarkus, which is like, um, yeah, I spend lots of my time with Java E, Jakarta E, and now uh, MicroProfile, and lots of my clients have such applications. So what you can do right now is to package the entire application as a Lambda. And if you do it with Quarkus, with dependency injection and microprofile config, it's still surprisingly fast. So the very first call with uh, 5.12, I think, max of RAM, which uh, is like a quarter of a CPU, it uh, it is like uh, half a second. And all the subsequ- uh sorry, three seconds, uh, complete call start, but uh, one second for... Uh, for Quarkus, but then subsequent calls are milliseconds. It's like eight yes. milliseconds, ten milliseconds, which is uh, genius. And uh, and also what I observed that actually the call starts are not that frequent. It, of course, it depends, you know, on on the region and and the RAM settings. But I mean, it is way better than I suspected. Yeah. So this is this is very much um, something that I I speak to customers about when they're researching Lambda and Java. There is a lot of information out there about cold starts, mm-hmm. and a lot of people really, you know, like to uh, add add to that content. But the first thing that I would uh, ask a customer to do is to write a, a meaningful load test, mm-hmm. because with that meaningful load test, they can actually see uh, the likelihood and the amount 
uh, and, and scale of cold starts. And it's only, only then that I think people really appreciate uh, how fast the system is. Um, as a developer, you are always going to get the worst experience, unfortunately, yeah. because you're going to you're going to be building new code. You upload it, you execute it on Lambda. You will get a cold start guaranteed. You make a change, you upload another version, you get a, a cold start guaranteed. It's a new version, um, so you will always get the worst impression. And as a developer, you need to understand that that is the case. But as soon as you put uh, you know load through the system. You know, you will get so much re reuse, and uh, and Lambda is is um, is not immediately shutting down Java after a single use. You know, it persists, and you get that uh, incredible performance benefit from from Java, um, and that's really fantastic. So, you know, if you are if you are trying uh, Lambda for the first time. Uh, and you are you are hitting cold starts, you know. Be aware that that is the worst case scenario, and you know put put a few hundred requests a second through the system. It'll cost you virtually nothing, and you'll really see you know how how lambda scales and how performant it is. So another thing is, um, as I already mentioned, um, in the case of Quarkus, you can actually test the entire application locally because there is nothing Lambda-specific. So we are using you know, JaxOS and the MicroProfile API. So in Quarkus, it, you, you can just do Maven um, Quarkus colon dev, and you can just uh, run it. And then if you decide what I use then, I use CDK and push it to, to Amazon and perform an integration test, which is completely fair to, uh, to have you know, uh, a cold start. And the next step is going to have you know, an AWS pipeline or a code build and uh, code deploy. Uh, to have you know automated de deployment, and then I really don't care about the cold start because um, I just push my code. Uh, the pipeline wakes up and and ships the lambda. There's a, a, a short uh, test, and it and and it just works. So um, uh, and the other lambdas, the so this we talk right now with the synchronous lambdas, and the asynchronous lambdas is even better because you can just use no JUnit. So um, you don't because I mean this is just a plain Java code. It looks like. JDK one 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 two. There is there is no magic, so there there is nothing, yeah. you know. And um, yeah. I don't know about you, but um, I I really don't like mock uh, AWS services. I know you could you know run uh, Lambda locally and and you know mimic the entire. You can download DynamoDB locally. I never did it, and I, I always I don't like it. So if I yeah. work with the cloud, I always push as often as possible to the cloud, and I will always you know uh, test in a real system. So what I yeah. do, I have multiple accounts. I have one test account and then one client account. So I test in my you know pre-stage account, and then if it works, I just switch the credentials or the profile, the entire profile, and push to my to my clients. This is how I am working, and yeah. it works well. So I don't know whether this is not the intended way, but at least it works. Yeah. So you know, I'm never going to say that you know working locally using you know, mock services is is bad. The, the, the thing is, you need to understand the limitations, I think. Mm -hmm. So whenever you have, uh, you know, a local uh, mimic or mock or, or whatever you want to call it, you are, that is a limited uh, subset of yeah. functionality that, that is delivered by the cloud. So you just have to be aware that, you know, things aren't going to be perfect. So you might have authorization problems or you might have uh, scaling uh, that you need to be be aware of or you know any number of different things yeah. but they uh, i'm definitely on your side uh, on on the development cycles that's what i do mm 
So I, I unit test locally and then I push to the cloud and I do my integration tests on the cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that for me works really well. There are some, um, third party and AWS, um, uh, products that are, are looking at improving that development cycle. So one, um, I don't know if you're familiar, um, it's not CDK, but there's another, another model called SAM. Mm-hmm. which is the serverless application model. Mm-hmm. And with SAM, you can use the SAM CLI um, to uh, to swap out your Lambda function code when you make code changes without doing a full uh, CloudFormation um, redeploy. So that's called SAM Accelerate. Mm-hmm. That's something that's uh, pretty new. That's in the last few months. Mm-hmm. That that really is looking to really shorten that development cycle for for when you're doing integration tests. That's really interesting to look out for. And I think there's some other uh, third parties that are doing very similar things. But that is kind of bridging the gap. Yeah, and Sam Accelerate also works with Java. Yes. Okay, interesting. So I never never tried that. This is Sam. Is this what uh, Quarkus uh, produces? So if you add the AWS Lambda REST API extension then you get the SAM templates generated by Quarkus. Um, they are optional, so you can use them SAM or not. But um, yeah. Uh, yeah but you you yeah, mentioned sorry? CDK, and I think CDK is where I am most excited because as a Java developer, I can write Java code to describe my infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and yesterday um, was the... Uh, AWS reinvent keynotes for for developers uh, from uh, Werner Vogels, mm-hmm. and he had a guest speaker um, from Liberty Mutual, and he was uh, giving his experience of CDK and how they have adopted CDK widely and are producing very specific constructs for their organization. So they are producing. Um, you know, best practice templates that include all of the security um, and ways of working uh, into their own constructs so that other teams can adopt uh, the same ways of working and same best practices uh, more quickly. Are you using I, I Java? Yeah. Um, I think they use a range of lang- uh, languages. I don't think they said specifically in the talk which languages they use. Um, because with Java... This is the interesting part. If you mix CDK with Java, what do you get? You get Maven. And with Maven, you get Nexus repository. So uh, this means this is a huge deal. So um, I, I, didn't listen, I didn't watch the keynote yet, but we'll do. But um, what, uh, what we are doing, uh, we are actually uh, shipping constructs as Maven projects. And if you yes. say Maven clean install, it installs locally, so you can test it already. But um, if you say Maven deploy and you specify the Nexus repository, then it's in the repository. And uh, right now I'm helping uh, a few startups uh, with with the cloud. And um, what we did, we started, this is a migration project. So we started, we will start with a Fargate and a few Lambdas. So they already want, want to have Lambdas, but it now is long away. So we cannot just split the monolith to Lambdas. But what we did is uh, we've wrapped the uh, already um, how it's called uh, load balanced um, uh, AWS uh, Fargate uh, pattern. So the lamp, this yeah. is the highest construct in CDK with our own construct, like a nice builder pattern. Because what you can do with Java, you can say new cluster, 
add task, add task, add task, and you're just adding, you know, your your images, image names, and behind the scenes you can create ECR repositories. You can you can you can prepare everything, and uh, in Java this is like you know five lines of code, and yeah. you are done. And if you ship it, if you push it to Maven, the other project uh, developer they just you know include it as a dependency. And they have their own stack, and it just works. I, I, I would say yeah. it's not even about best practice. Uh, it is time-saving. Yeah. And this is huge. And I I mean, I'm really surprised that there was nothing in the internet about Java and CDK. So I started a little bit, and, and you know, the response is huge. And I said, this is strange. that everyone uses strange languages. And in Java with Maven, <laughs> is unbeatable. Java with yeah. Maven is unbeatable, I would say, because you know every uh, everyone recognized that how great Maven with the versioning actually is, and all the companies already have Nexus or JFrog or whatever, or even GitHub. You know, it is very easy to share, and this is already completely in the corporate, you know, uh, how to call it, uh, included infrastructure, right? Yeah, I would I would love to you know see more and help more and work with other. Uh, framework developers to to really advance uh, CDK and you know some of the other um, um, you know you know imagine going on to the Caucus uh, start page or the Spring start page and being able to get a, a CDK project um, at this, with you know your starting application mm-hmm. you know if you can get your starting application and your starting infrastructure uh, code written in in CDK. You know, not only would you be able to do, you know, build your application, you know, quickly using Maven, but also then to deploy it to AWS, that would be fantastic. Yeah. And you know, give people those those, uh, you know, rest end rest endpoints in a, in a single click. That would be fantastic. Yeah. Um, most of my clients they are working with um, isolated subnets or VPCs. Uh, with Direct Connect or or whatever, and I of course don't have Direct Connect. I'm just a you no know, singleton consultant. But um, what I what I can uh, uh, simulate a Direct Connect is with VPN. So uh, what I do uh, for myself, I have uh, s- several constructs which create you know VPC with subnets and 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 uh, and VPN. Then then the, some then I have an EC, uh, stacks with which create the endpoints. You know. Otherwise, uh, you, you need endpoints for S3, which makes sense, and ECR and ECR API stuff like that, and huge time server, right? So uh, I, I looked at uh, what the solution in the internet. And I say, okay, this is I don't know why I should do that, right? And 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 now it is or it, it is working, and I'm improving it constantly. You no, know? I'm versioning for myself, and then uh, I have my building blocks. Um, they are a little bit ugly, so if I have sometimes, I will just you know uh, generalize them. But um, it works way better than expected, actually. And uh, this is what I did with Quarkus. Also, I'm, I de- I'm deploying Lambda with Quarkus. And um, and uh, the only thing is I still know um, what you said, packaging both. This is a little bit harder because if you think about this, what you usually have, you will need more layers. So you need to know like a base layer with the VPC in the networking. So uh, this is the first layer. You cannot just ship, you know, VPC with Quarkus microservice because you get too many VPCs. So we have to be a little bit more intelligent. I think this is the this is the uh, the challenge, uh, but it's more or less obvious. I would say, I would say, a, a mid-range microservice you would get an ECR with a microservice, a one-to-one relation. I would say. Um, now the the first question is no um, if this is Fargate we have a service with tasks how many tasks per service or is it a multiple uh, 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 Fargate clusters or this we need a language first you know how to how to do it but um, 
I'm with you, and uh, I, I really like CDK. Um, this is, uh, I call it, you know, no YAML uh, deployment for me as Java <laughs> developer is great. And, um, and what I really like is actually CloudFormation. And I tell you why, I mean, behind the scenes. What's really great is with CDK, as uh, so just feedback, so there is no state on my machine. Mm -hmm. So um, it is shared from day one. And this is a huge problem with the other solutions because what you have to do first is, you know, to share your state somewhere. So you will have to set up GitHub or S3 or whatever. And with uh, CDK Java, what happens, you have to do CDK bootstrap. So, okay, that's the first time, very first time. And then you get your stack. And uh, you have also conventions. You know, if you you have a nice uh, CDK names in, in Java, you get nice stack names. So you see the one-to-one -one relation. But even if you delete your local environment, you can go to AWS console, to CloudFormation stacks, Click on the project and just delete everything. You know this is, or you can you can detect drifts if someone tries. You know does something with with it, and um, and and I would say this is what I appreciate. But there's almost I, I don't know as from from Java perspective, almost no material, right? So which is uh, interesting. So I'm glad that you are actually working on this. Uh, at least yeah. someone, you know. So, so everything I do and everything I publish is always Java and Java CDK. So oh. uh, you know when you. If you follow the thread of the of the work that I'm doing, you'll you'll always find CDK. Um, it's definitely what I'm most interested in, um, and I'm you know I'm always advocating that to to the, to the customers that I work with, unless there's a, a very specific uh, other reason. But yeah, if you're if you're a part of an organization, it's just a, such a fantastic way to share to share code, um, and it's probably not something that. I don't think has been done that much before. I don't, I don't, you know, if I think back in my career, you know, I, I don't see that in the same way. I think this is a really new, uh, different way of working. Um, and I think it will get more and more sophisticated. So yeah, you know, if you are shipping higher level constructs, I think there's also a design aspect to that, you know, allow people to specify their own VPCs and subnets and, you know, allow people to, to to, to um, uh, design it to their environment, but still still adding all that extra value um, by by making that that abstraction. I think there's a there's a lot of uh, really cool space to innovate there. Mm -hmm. um, what's different this time is that if you look at AWS resources, there's a clear API, and these are the same resources for all projects and clients. So what it means such a construct is highly reusable. So there is no difference in a, in a VPC or Fargate for client A and client B. So what we got in Java the first time, something which is highly reusable. So if you build such a, such a construct, maybe you will miss a parameter or something, so you can extend that, but you can absolutely reuse it. And all other attempts in reuse something in Java they often often failed because a customer from one department is not identical to customer from another department of, of, of a company because you know, the attributes are completely different. But now, because, uh, how to call it, the schema of the REST APIs of Amazon Cloud is standardized. So my constructs are highly reusable across all clients, all departments, all projects. So and this is the huge difference. This is why it is actually a killer use case to create a construct push it to Nexus or Maven repository and reuse it, which is not true for other projects. So I have to say I'm against reuse in Java because it's not worth, you know, developers are, uh, um, they, they, they like, you know, to 
create reusable loggers or whatever, and it never worked in in the, in the past. But <laughs> this one, you get to know. Uh, maybe you created uh, one day properly something from scratch. If you do something from scratch in 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 Amazon, you have to know IAMs, you have to know the security groups, and I spent countless nights, I would say, just to know because something didn't work. And with CDK. It happens behind the scenes. So most of the higher level construct will create the IAM policies for you. It will they create the security groups. You 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 see what happens afterwards. It's also great learning effect. You know, if something doesn't work, you can use CDK. So okay, look, uh, this should work uh, this way. Yeah, and think of think of like a, a highly regulated industry. So maybe maybe a banking or, or some sort of medical field. You know, they can have uh, specific constructs that aligned to their specific security requirements. So instead of making an S3 bucket and trying to understand what security you need for that S3 bucket, having a uh, having a, a company specified uh, bucket configuration with the security team's you know stamp of approval. So you don't have to learn that and you don't have to um, you know go to the security team and, and you know Ask them to verify that this is this is okay. But actually, get get the construct from the security team, use it, uh, and then that just seems like such a such an improved way of working to me. Yeah, and um, if regulated, so right now I'm um, working for uh, critical infrastructure. I will call it uh, uh, startups. This is also a little bit uh, problematic field because you know it has to be highly available and uh, secure and so forth. But even more trivial things, just imagine a Quarkus application and Aurora database. What you can do with a construct, you can you can have two stacks and you can generate even users and passwords on the fly of a database and inject them as secrets to Quarkus fully automatically. So um, this is almost um, this is one of the you know, common questions in my projects what I'm doing with, you know, secrets. I, am I using, you know, HashiCorp vaults or I'm using uh, Kubernetes secrets and I say, oh, or we just, you know, we can use uh, KMS or or even Parameter Store as also uh, encrypted and uh, and do it f- automatically, you know. Um, so we can have highly secure way. Of course, you will need the credentials uh, later for, for your console or for debugging purposes, but you can still create another user, right? So, um, and, and and this is, time saver again. So it is security, you know, but it's also convenient. Um, uh, and and back then we had you no know, security and a lot of inconvenience. This was the problem, you know, and, and with that there's no fiddling. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm glad you also see it this way. I, 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 my impression was like, you know, uh, Amazon is not that interested in CDK. They just did it because th- they could, but uh, I'm glad that you are also behind. No, I think it is is very uh very well regarded uh you know if you if you see how many versions are being pushed yeah. i think it's almost almost daily yeah um i think version two uh which is the second major version is now either in in preview or, or ga I'm only uh, using two the the entire time because uh what's what's really nice with version two you get just one dependency. You know, you don't have to include everything with version one. So I'm using V2 all the time. I have to be a little bit behind because if you knew the use the recent version, 
uh, you get the schema version conflict. So I'm, I think, five versions behind or something like this. But um, yeah, I'm just waiting for the release. Yeah, I think pe if people used CDK in the early days, mm -hmm. I think they might have been burnt by some some like early breaking changes. But that is very different now. It is a very very uh, a solid um, productivity tool, and I would yeah definitely recommend people uh, to look at it. So if you're if you're Thinking of trying it, CDK stands for Cloud Development Kit. Mm -hmm. Loads of interesting resources. Um, yes, um, you can use other languages. Obviously, we're talking about Java, but it also yeah. comes from a lot of other flavors. Um, but it's a, a fantastic tool. And it isn't just specific for, for Lambda or API Gateway. It covers... Um, you know, a huge amount of, of the AWS estate. So you can use it for, for Lambda and API Gateway, but you can also use it for, you know, all or virtually all of the AWS services that are available. And there's a, there's a lot of development there, a lot of people innovating in that area. Is it actually true? I, I just look at that, that it covers whatever CloudFormation covers because it's generated from CloudFormation. Or is, are there services which are covered by CloudFormation but not uh, CDK, you know it? So I guess you would think of it as a, a downstream um, mm -hmm. consumer. Yeah. So um, CDK uses CloudFormation mm -hmm. um, and the way CloudFormation works from a language point of view um, there is like a master template and then the languages are, are auto-generated from that template. So that's why we don't have the language drift between the different versions. Um, but yeah, you wouldn't have something in CDK which wasn't available in CloudFormation. Yeah. And uh, as a cliffhanger for next time, so we can spend more time talking about CDK, but uh, how it works in Java. So um, it is basically what you do in Java. You're building, you know, your hierarchy with most happens in a constructor. And if you package with Maven, this is also one of the common questions. If you do package, what happens? Nothing. You get just the JSON. So the entire, you know, Java structure serializes to CloudFormation template with some environment. And this, you know, and then the environment is sent with CDK deploy to the cloud. So this is what happens behind the scenes. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, this is was great. I would say um, I would really like to have you back to talk more specifically about Java and the cloud, so we can pick Absolutely. a topic. And I will put your and 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 you know, greetings to your managers. Seems like a great person with the book. So uh, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, yeah, really great advice. Focus on something, and I, I try you know to focus on standards. So no, don't be distracted. Just follow whatever Java does, and serve me also well over the years. And I still enjoy it. So and yeah, and um, yeah, where people can find you? Do you have a resource in you know, the Twitter blog? And what's yeah. your official 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 how to call it official role at Amazon? So you have solutions. Yeah, so my official role is a, a specialist solutions architect. So okay. there are architects who cover the, the vast array of AWS services, but I, I'm kind of lucky that I just get to, to specialize in a few. So I, I typically specialize in API Gateway, Lambda, SNS, SQS, mm -hmm. Event Bridge, and Step Functions. So the services that are, are serverless, but also the services that are uh, used quite a lot by builders and developers to, to, to build systems. So that's kind of my, my sweet spot. You can find me on Twitter. So my Twitter handle is MarkSales3. I'm sure we can put a link somewhere. Yeah, sure. But yeah, that's where I, I post a lot of my content and what I'm working on and what I'm thinking and you know asking for feedback. Mm -hmm. This feedback is really important and, and part of the culture at AWS. So 
yeah, if you're if you're having a bad day and something's not working, you know, feel free to ping me and let me know. Okay, perfect. So uh, thank you and see you next time. See you later. Bye.